I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A huge thank you to Neon, our favourite New Zealand streaming service, for making this episode of Culture Vulture possible. Kia ora everybody and welcome to one of two very, very special episodes of Culture Vulture. I'm joined as always by my beautiful co-host Liv. Hi everyone, How lovely are to you, be Liv? here. I'm good, I'm excited. Same, so this episode and next episode, which is actually dropping on Saturday, we are talking about Taylor Swift, none other than Taylor Swift. Now, Taylor has just re-released Red, and me and Liv have been absolutely infatuated by it, eh, Liv? Oh, it's taken over our entire weekend. I feel like this weekend was the perfect weekend for Red to be re-released. Sort of rainy. Sort of rainy. It was kind of cozy and... Humid way. In a very humid way. It was a moche. It was just it super was a moche. We even went to a waterfall. It felt very dramatic. We yelled into it. We yelled actually the words all too well at one point into Lucy it. went for a drive in her car. <laughs> and I cried. cried. I just had to make up some scenarios. And she's not much of a crier. No. So it says a lot. And I've not really got much to relate to, so I had to make up some <laughs> scenarios. It was good for the imagination. Now, this was initially going to be one episode, but me and Liv got deep into the weeds and we decided that it had to to be a wee two-part series. Holy fuck, the information just snowballed. Now, like, there's nothing like a spontaneous two-part series, Absolutely is Absolutely not. Really get you yeah, going. We're, we're ready for it. I think it's going to be... Good Taylor Pan. Are you ready for it? Down. <laughs> I didn't even get it. So <laughs> I only know red. So there's an OG Swifty here being me, and then there's my favourite narrative. I was actually thinking about this today. My mm-hmm. favourite type of Swifty or Taylor Swift fan is someone that wasn't really into her at the start or like heard her music, liked her music, but then upon the re-records has been like, I actually respect and love the shit out of Taylor Swift. Oh, I feel like I have entered a new era of my like musical yeah. life. I well, okay, she's in her reputation dramatic. era. <laughs> Yeah, like, honestly, Taylor was never really on my radar properly. I mean, like, I thought she was good. I knew she was a good songwriter. I just never, like, listened to much of her before until Folklore and Evermore came out. And I really liked those albums. But again, I didn't have that, like, nostalgic feeling. Yes. And then living with Loose this year and our other flatmate Flo, another cameo, <laughs> um, it has kind of really opened my eyes to the magic that is Taylor Swift. And I feel like she's had such a bad reputation, which is why she fucking made an album about it. But yeah, she like, had a bad reputation, like, and in hindsight, For what? Like, people just turned on her. And we're going to get into this. So this episode is going to be the modern history of Taylor Swift. It's going to be all those eras, all those dramas, all those boyfriends and the beautiful songs that she made out of telling the stories that she has every right to tell. And then the next episode, we are going to get into the weeds. We are going to be answering the question you're all wondering. Why is she re-releasing all her old music? What did Scooter Braun do? 
Who is Scott Borchetta? Liv has... <laughs> is that his name? Yeah, this is good. Yeah, I just feel... I feel like I'm listening to an audiobook or something. I'm like, Lucy is on a roll. Honestly, I don't even have to She's think. She's not even scripted here. Like she script. is just gazing off into the distance. Honestly, I'm just such... I'm such a Swifty. Like, went to her concert, went to her Speak Now concert, touched her hand. Like, Did was you? Front row, very soft. Got her guitar pick. Said this this weekend. I know a guitar pick. I know. Huge Swifty. Um, I know I was about four foot when I went to her concert, so it terrified the shit out of me. Have hardly been into a mosh pit since, but um, big big fan. So yes, this episode is going to be all her eras, bar a few, because it's there's just too many. And the next episode is going to be why she's re-recording and you guys are going to love it because you'll have listened to this you'll have all the background and then you'll listen to the next one and then you'll listen to only taylor's version of anything ever live what described your week this week oh honestly red same I taylor's red. version in brackets um <laughs> everywhere I, I looked i just saw red honestly i did it was everywhere i went it literally was everywhere i went it was in the lounge it was in my room it was in the car i know we just blasted it um but yeah, it was it was really beautiful. I think it gave me nostalgic feelings that I haven't felt in a while, even though like that music, like it must have been part of my adolescence, mm. but not a sort of conscious part. But yes. It was nice to kind of like tap into that subconscious and Taylor Swift that was in my soul. Honestly, the 10 minute version of All Too Well, like I'm going to let it sit for a while, but I think it might be one of my favourite songs like ever written. Like, yeah. usually it's Life on Mars, David Bowie, and I think that's because it goes through so many different stages. Yes. But then Red, Taylor's version, I mean, all too well, 10-minute version, went through so many stages as well that, like, if in a few months I still like it as much as I like it now, it might be up there with my favourite song ever written. I know. I think what's so amazing about it is that, yes, it's 10 minutes, it's fucking long, but it doesn't feel that way. Doesn't feel like it. And also, like, there's not much variation within the music itself, but her voice, like, builds an intensity without the melody changing dramatically, which I think... Yes. Like, it shows how strong her storytelling power is because you can't do that if your story's not there to back it up, right? And especially that last bit where she's saying that she's not good at telling jokes but the punchline like Mm -hmm. that is not like wildly out of the original melody but it's like slowed down there's a different beat and for some reason it just hits different I know no it's it's really really incredible songwriting um loved it the girl at home remix now I don't know if you'd heard the original girl at home very acoustic very guitar based this one was like a club banger and it's really good. I'm usually not here for like a club banger, but Girl at Home Slept, The Last Time with Gary Lightbody. Oh, love that. Stunning. Because there's not actually that much difference, is there, between no. her original album and the re-recorded. Just like slight subtle differences that probably you will only notice because you're a true Swifty. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I'm guessing, Lucy, Red probably described your week as well. Red did describe my week and uh, we're going to describe it here on the podcast too. And I'm going to get into the scarf, the red scarf. The Jake Gyllenhaal story, like the Easter there's, eggs. There's so much. We're gonna get into Sadie Sink and Dylan O'Brien oh, and the meta chemistry. age gap, and just oh, I love it. But first of all, first of all, I'm gonna do my naughty or nice, and it's gonna be Taylor Swift themed. Themed. It's gonna be yeah. Taylor Swift themed. I mean, because naturally. of course. So my first story is about a John Mayer DM. Now, mm. 
Don't you worry, Liv, because I'm going to get into the Taylor Swift, John Mayer love story because it is important. And I did ask you about this the other day. So thank God I'm getting the tea for Oh, thank God. I sort of gatekept it until now. (laughs) So um, I was reading through, I think it's pronounced Demoy. It's this gossip Instagram account that I barely ever look at. Mm -hmm, Heard of it, yeah. Looked at it today because I thought there's going to be some Taylor tea on here. And there was. So anyway, a bunch of fans have obviously been making memes and stuff about how John Mayer must be like quaking in his boots right now because Taylor's written some beautiful songs about him. One named Dear John, so quite obviously about him. And a lot of them have obviously been messaging him saying things like, you know, are you scared? Like, are you prepared? And Mm. we're going to get into whether you should be doing that or not in just a second. But Demoy posted a screenshot of John's response to one of these fans. Now, all we can see is the fan who has said, answer me, you bitch, to which John <laughs> says, the fucking audacity. I know. To which John says, hi, Alondra, it's John. I've been getting so many messages like these for the past couple of days. I decided to choose your message at random to reply to. You can feel free to screenshot, share in any way you like if you want. I'm not upset. I just tend to have a curious mind and feel compelled to ask, do you really hope that I die? To which the fan replied saying, OMG, what? I don't want you to die. And then sent voice recordings. So it's like this weird thing where it's a reminder to everyone that like, this is a person this that is you're a person. sending. No, don't send death threats. Don't ever send hate or death threats. John Mayer, not the best person. We can all agree on that. Didn't treat her the way she should have been treated. That aside, we don't send death threats here. We just stand Taylor Swift. Absolutely not. And yeah, maybe a reminder for Jake Gyllenhaal also. I know we're going to go into this. But yeah, just a person also like, think about your own romantic relationships. Did you really sort of portray yourself in the best light, you know, when you were 10 years younger than you are now? Not sure. So I think, yeah. Just a good message. Just Mm -hmm. a good message to sort of, well, not a good message from her, obviously, but a good message from us saying... Just think before you type. Um, and, like, it's all good to have a laugh as long as, you know, you're always thinking, is this and hurting someone? also a nice reminder for us before yeah. we record something like this. Exactly, so, which yeah. I've been thinking the whole time is, like, I don't want this to be hating on anyone or anything. I'm really just getting here and just, like, stan. So the next thing that I wanted to talk about is um, another story from Des Moines. This one about old Jakey boy Gyllenhaal, Mm -hmm. who all too well is, for legal purposes, allegedly about, and who, while we love a laugh, we also don't condone being mean to Jakey boy, but um, one of Jake's old interns messaged Des Moines saying that they used to intern for him, and one time he was playing music from his speakers and he put on a bunch of Taylor Swift songs in a row. No way. And then, and this is quoted, he comes out of his office manically saying, nothing like a little bit of Taylor Swift to lighten the mood. And I really, I can't tell the tone here from the message. Like, was he, was he like... I actually like this, or was he making a joke, or was he genuinely listening to it because it hypes him? I would have paid good money to see this. Me too. Oh, again, we always forget to do the naughty or nice, and I'm saying for the first one, naughty for the fan messaging um, John Mayer saying something along the lines of wanting him to die. Yeah, but nice for John Mayer. Nice for John Mayer to respond yeah, in such the way a, that he such a sort of did. relaxed uh, yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. And and I think nice I of think Jake Gyllenhaal to be playing. Yeah, um, kind of hilarious. I mean, I think I read somewhere that 
he said something to Taylor Swift about it being a bit of a photo book. Yes. Yes. Bit of a, yep, I saw that as well. Listening to the album. So, I mean, there must be a little bit of sort of less than hate. I don't yeah, know. a little bit less yeah. than hate. And also, like, when Taylor Swift was asked in that interview, me and Liv have watched every interview that's come out of Taylor Swift over the past weekend. I'm not sure if it was Jimmy Fallon or Seth Meyers, but how she said... The person, the interviewer, asked, are you worried about their reaction or something of hearing the 10-minute all too well? And she just said, I haven't thought about their reaction. And, like, so you should, bestie. But, like, yeah, you're like, telling your story. I don't think that's true because, like, I might. that's where my mind would be. But also fucking good on her. So now that we've decided that um, we're not going to message nasty things to Taylor's ex-boyfriends, why don't we just talk about them on a podcast? <laughs> we are going to go through Taylor's eras. Well, we're going to go through all of Taylor's eras except for Lover, Folklore and Evermore because they are reserved for part two. The first era. The era that started it all was Taylor's self-titled era. Now the year was 2006 and a young country darling entered the scene. This was a little bit before my time, before Love Story was out and before... I knew who the hell she was, but I just thought it was worth mentioning. So after years of sort of performing in bars and venues in Nashville, Tennessee, which is where your girl is from, um, she had high hopes of getting a record deal. She debuted her first self-titled album, Taylor Swift, at the age of 16. And soon enough, she was like performing with some big fucking acts like Rascal Flatts and Tim McGraw, who she also wrote a mm. song called Tim McGraw, and Faith Hill. Um... And her her look was just, I'm going to go through her looks because they often define her eras. And here her look was just very, like, young, blonde, country, cute. Like, she was just that country. The all-American girl. Exactly. Yeah. 2008, we met her fearless era. And, and to be honest, if there is one word to describe Taylor Swift, it actually is fearless. She is fucking fearless, which is something I didn't realise or hadn't looked into until you know, researching for this podcast, she's fucking fearless. Yeah, like if you're talking about exploring new genres or like saying what you want to say or writing about people that have wronged you, like she she is fearless. So this was the era that most of us, if you're our age, probably came to know Taylor Swift. Love Story was playing at all like the year seven or eight discos, whatever year we were in. She started performing and doing that like really shocked face whenever the crowd, whenever she'd win an award or the crowd would erupt and it was sort of like, it was endearing. Yeah. But you knew she wasn't shocked. Like she, she, she earned it. She earned that crowd. And so every time she'd be shocked, people would sort of be like, why are you so shocked? But it was cute. Um, she was in Hannah Montana, the movie, playing the song Crazier. Oh my god! Yeah, she was. She was, and she totally fucking totally rocked it. about that. Yeah, yeah. She released some amazing songs like Fifteen and You Belong with Me, and she Banger. even earned her first album of the year Grammy. So she earned a fucking Grammy for Fearless. Holy shit! So how old was she then? So she was eighteen then. I know. And her look, the fearless look, was defined by, like, her sparkly dresses and her, and her ball gowns, you know, like, love story ball gowns. And, and the her, long curls. Yes, her long, yeah. tightly curled hair. She had her signature winged eyeliner. She was always making hearts with her hands, like, to the crowd. And, of course, this is where we started seeing the lucky number 13. 13's her favourite number. Basically, everything she touches these days has 13 in it on it, around it, to do with it. She loves a cryptic message, she right? She loves a cryptic message. It's like such a part of her allure these days. She would have the number 13 written on her hand every day when she went on stage. 
She has actually already re-recorded and released Fearless, Taylor's version. So make sure if you are listening to that album, if this has sparked your nostalgia, don't listen to the old version. Listen to her new re-recorded version. Now, I thought it would be quite good for um, each era if we sort of looked at a few of the songs and who they might be written about because that is so much of the story about Taylor Swift is... um, her songs and her narratives. The song Forever and Always was written about Joe Jonas. This was a song that was based on her breakup with him. Um, it features lyrics about her staring at her phone. And this is because, and she revealed on Ellen, that he broke the relationship off over a 25 to 27, now that there's, we don't know what one it is, second phone call. Like, less than 30-second phone call. She got her record company to let her record a song about it real quick to add last minute to the album. And then she went on later to say on Alan, like, Alan asked years later what her most rebellious thing she'd done as a teenager was, and she said, probably when I put Joe Jonas on blast on your show, that was too much. Because, you know, when you're young and you just feel like, you probably like you us just, right now, you can run your mouth. Yeah, you, you don't feel like think you about the consequences. You're sort of just like, oh, well, you know, whatever, it's my story to tell. Yes, yeah. yes. And so she obviously, I mean, great song, but she obviously was like, fuck, I shouldn't have really given all the messages behind yeah. it. It's just fucking crazy. Like, she had such high-profile boyfriends. I know. Like, you know, most singers, they have this sort of private personal life that they can draw from and, like, there's not as many consequences. Just, Mm. like, knowing who the person is on the other side of the song, you know. Makes you so much more invested. It makes you so invested. And, like, the media loved it until, like, her reputation era when everyone just turned on her. She was met with some fucking double standards, which we'll get to, especially around age. No, absolutely. But... Joe Jonas and Sophie Turner actually were just um, seen going to watch her SNL performance. Like, they're good mates now. She congratulated them big time on their baby. And, like, they're real good mates, which is just gorgeous. Now, Mr. Perfectly Fine, which is from the re-recorded version of Fearless, is also rumoured to be about Joe. The song Should Have Said No, which is about someone that cheated on her, is written about, and I haven't really brought in the the obscure high school boyfriends, but this one was written about a guy called Sam Armstrong. And the reason I'm bringing this up is just because in the CD booklet, and I remember looking at it, um, she is obsessed with the lyrics in in the album booklets. She would read through them. She capitalized every S, A, and M in order. Yes, I remember this. This was, I think, there must have been an era when I was younger where I think it was Fearless or Speak Now sort of era where I was invested in those songs. I think I used to sing them in singing lessons Mm -hmm. and stuff, was looking through the lyrics, remember that, and oh my God. And at that age, you think that is the most cryptic shit someone could ever do. do. Capitalising something, fucking acrostic poems. And you also think you're so smart for sort of like... Nancy Drew, like, cracking Yeah, I know. So Sam Armstrong, he gets a shout out because um, he cheated on her. Notable moments in the Fearless era live come in 2009 when Ye, formerly known as Kanye West, interrupted Taylor's acceptance speech for Best Female Video at the MTV VMAs. Now, Liv, I know we've all heard about this, but will you just give me a wee refresher on what happened here? Yeah, absolutely. I actually watched this back. I'm going to let you finish, but... Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Meta. I actually just watched this back, like, you know, a few hours ago, and just, it's pretty heartbreaking. I know. So basically, Ye interrupted 
to tell the crowd that um, Beyonce had the best video of all time. So this was when Taylor had just won the award for the best music video for You Belong With Me. Mm. And, like, it's fucking awkward. Everything about it is horrific. The crowd starts booing and then Taylor said that she thought the boos were for her, but really they were booing Yay because, you know, he looked like a bit of a dick. He was a dick. Yeah, or like a jackass in um, Obama's words. (laughs) Yeah. But, like, it's sad because he was doing this to sort of make commentary on racism within the music industry. Mm -hmm. So you can see, you know, the thought process behind it, but it was just wrong place, wrong time, like... Oh, yeah, we can't excuse it. No, we can't excuse it at all. And Taylor very much took the brunt of this. And then a day after the VMAs, West appeared in a pre-planned appearance on The Tonight Show um, and said, it's been a difficult day. I'm just dealing with the fact that I hurt someone or took anything away from a talented artist or from anyone because I only wanted to help people. I immediately knew in this situation that it was wrong. It's someone's emotions that I stepped on. It was rude, period. Which is interesting because later on in his career, he kind of has, you know, different thoughts about this whole thing. Oh, yes. Little precursor. Mm-hmm. Yay comes back in a big way ben in vengeance. this story. Yeah. But it does sort of show his impulsivity and something that he's actually always struggled to control within himself. Um, and it has been linked to mental illness and things like that. So there's no denying that this was a very layered situation. Mm-hmm. It just is... It's really difficult to see it coming um, up against a brand new sort of artist, a young woman in the industry, a country singer that like just sort of was trying to accept her award. Absolutely. I think Ye must have just seen it as she's white, Beyonce's black and this is the outcome sort of thing. But yes, we can all agree, not his finest moment. No, and and it does get worse, I hate to tell you all. Now, we move to 2010, the Speak Now era. Her Speak Now era was both magical and theatrical. Is and this where, just like, the Wonderlust perfume? Yes. Yep, used to hit that hard. I know, I used to hit that hard yeah. too. Like, this was just, I mean, the song Enchanted pretty much wraps up this era. I went to see her in concert in this era. This is the one that I watched, and it was just, like, as big as a show could get, like, she wanted it. She wanted everything. She wanted the sets, the castles, the flying around the room, the sparkles, like, everything. Now, really interestingly, Speak Now was her first and only self-written album, written entirely by herself. Right. Holy and, shit. And, and she was young as yeah, well. Yeah. I did not know that this was her, like, she wrote this one all on her own. And I think a lot of it had to do with she was starting to face some of the, like, well, you know, that's not even your song. Or, like, you wouldn't be able to do it without the song. You know, she was a young woman. She was, honestly, she was facing the brunt of it. She was sort of marking the roadmap. Yeah. Which she sings about in one of her new songs with Phoebe Bridges on Red. Like, the roadmap for the younger stars, like the Olivia Rodrigo's, to sort of into the music industry, see what she's been through and know that they can overcome it. And be a little savvier, for sure. Yes. Because she was also, you know, although she may not have been the sole songwriter on albums, she was, like, the majority oh my songwriter God. on all heavy. her albums. So, yeah. She had a heavy hand on literally everything she touched, but I think this was just her way of being like, right, I'll do one completely on my own. Just and to show you all. Yeah, you yeah. can see that I've done it. This album also has my all-time favourite Taylor Swift song on it, Long Live. It just gives me the best feelings. I don't know that song. No, I don't. I don't know if you do. It's quite a niche one, but it's like, 
Oh, God, it's so good. I'm not going to sing on this podcast because we know that's controversial, but great song. Go and listen to Long Live, everybody. Send it to the top of the charts. No, <laughs> don't listen until she's re-recorded yes. Speak Now. Don't listen. And you'll know why next you'll know why. episode. Yeah, yeah, you'll know why on Saturday when we release the next episode. <laughs> now, her look for Speak Now was defined by purple, which is random. Yes, Purple's purple. random. Purple was a random colour. So Fearless was sort of purplish as well, wasn't it? Oh, Fearless was sort of like golds and sparkles. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Speak Now was defined by this like deep purple. And this is why people think that Speak Now is the next album she's going to re-release. Because it's her red era. Mm. Yet in most of her appearances we've seen like lately promoting the red era, she's wearing purple. Another Easter egg. She's Another a clever Easter woman. Egg. Yeah, and, and we could be wrong. People also think because she used 1989 model of car and the All Too Well yes, music video. Yes, saw be that nice the Mercedes. Or, yeah, yeah, lots of people, you know, it's it's so fun. And she does say that half of the Easter eggs she, yes, intentionally sets up. Half of them, like, the fans make up. She thinks they're good ideas and she runs with them, which we love. Fuck That's yes. like how you create a great fandom slash Parasocial oh my relationship. Gosh, like imagine like not even planning something and then being like, you are so right. That yep. is like maybe subconsciously she was, you know, yes. doing it in her head. Exactly. Now, this was also the era of like the big hair flips, you know, she'd, she'd yeah. smash out. Her which she brought songs. back on Saturday Night Live, which and, oh, I love. I love it. I actually read um, a really good tweet that was like, she used to get ridiculed for doing those hair flips and now she's back Saturday Night Live, older, bringing them back. Everyone's loving she's them. Just owning the shit out of herself. I but, know. Yeah. And, like, how dare we or the world have even let her not sort of own them in the moment she was doing them earlier? I like, know. I think it does show how we have come mm, quite a long way since all of this shit happened. And, like, someone has to be the front of it. Yeah, like, the instigator. I know. So let's get to some of the songs on this album and who they might have been about. So we have Taylor Lautner. Now, did you oh ever God, watch Valentine's Day? Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. did you watch Valentine's Day? Yeah. So the two met in 2009 when they co-starred on Valentine's Day. And apparently the song that's about Taylor Lautner is back to December because when she sings your tanned skin, your sweet smile, on top of like her apology for a rough night in December, which lines up with the timelines of when she broke up with him, but it was a really like amicable and quite a nice relationship, I think. Oh, bless. Which, bless. Not a great movie, but a great no, relationship. No, no, not a great movie, but... Oh, Kind of a good trash watch, eh? Yeah, yeah. Now, the song Mine, this was allegedly written for and about Corey Monteith because it's about a boy that Taylor really knew. Did she go out with Corey Monteith? I think for a brief brief time, like just under a month, they had like a... little bit of a fling. A little bit of a fling. And, you know, she's she holds moments and she can turn moments into songs and moments oh, into absolutely. lifetimes. It's her job. Yeah, and mine's quite a cute song, so I think that's quite sweet. I thought you were about to sing it. I honestly thought you were about to And mine's quite mic. a good song, so yeah. let me just take it away. <laughs> and then that's it for the episode. And, <laughs> Go buy Lucy's version of this I'm album. actually just going to sing her whole discography from now on. <laughs> um, now let's get to John Mayer. So, we have the song Dear John, which John gets a few songs, but Dear John... Dear John is quite explicitly, <laughs> quite explicitly about John. His. And he did have a bit to say about it. So, the lyrics in Dear John point a lot to their age difference. Taylor was 19, John Mayer was 32. That's and this is wild. Yeah, this is interesting because when she was dating older men, constantly, like, it was, it was just fine like you know it's the men that it's the man that's older so like it was sort of accepted but then when she we'll find out later was dating a younger man 
She was like ridiculed for a four year age gap. Yeah. And it's four just years. double standards. Yeah, it's double standards everywhere. Anyway, John Mayer took the song Dear John quite personally. And he said to Rolling Stone magazine, it made me feel terrible because I didn't deserve it. I'm pretty good at taking accountability now, and I never did anything to deserve that. It was a really lousy thing for her to do. He said that it was a low blow, and then he actually responded musically with his song Paper Dolls, saying, Don't you think I was too young to be messed with? The girl in the dress cried the whole way home. I should have known. Which is literally her lyrics that yeah. she wrote, sung back weirdly. It doesn't really make that it much doesn't sense make to me. Any sense. But I think it was just him trying to get some sort of upper hand, but it didn't really work. Also, the songs Ours and The Story of Us are allegedly about John Mayer. Right. Now, Joe Jonas makes another appearance. Um, she didn't date him again, but she had some more songs. She was reminiscing. Yeah. Yes. Now, Better Than Revenge, which is a song that has been quite outwardly, like, she doesn't really like it anymore because it's not that feminist. Like, it's all about getting revenge on another woman, mm-hmm. even though, you know, it takes two to tango. But this um, this song was about another actress and vintage dresses, and Joe Jonas dated Camilla Bell after he dated Taylor Swift, and she was, like, known for her vintage dresses. She's an actress. Um, and... She actually explained that Camilla Bell had come between her and Joe Jonas. So, she, you know, she was back in her young yeah, era yeah, where yeah, she was yeah. still, like, feeling like she owed the world explanations for things, even though she didn't. Um, and so that song is for Joe Jonas. Last Kiss, which is a really slow, quite beautiful song. Again, another song that's reportedly about or for Joe Jonas. So well, he, She must just sit there with her guitar and, like, think back and be like, who am I going to write about yes. today? Like, what's like, hurting what me am now? I, yeah, what am I feeling? Like, yes. she's got this like entire catalogue of boys to. I feel like she's got a great filing cabinet in her brain. Oh, like, absolutely. She she remembers and can paint the picture of a moment so, so well. well, so well. True artist. Now, before we get into what is allegedly her best era, her red era, I think we should hear from our beautiful sponsors. So you guys heard me discover live on mic that Pen15 is on Neon and it's literally my all-time favourite show. So now Neon has my two favourite shows, Pen15 and Succession, and there's really no excuse for you not signing up because there's also a 14-day free trial. Absolutely, Liz. Honestly, like, I saw that they had sex in the city and I, okay, I did say that I'm not huge on the movies, but the TV show is one of my favourite sort of go-to comfort shows. Mm. So that's really fucking exciting. And they're getting the new reboot. Like, Neon is getting the reboot and we have to watch it. Yes, that's so fucking cool. I also... I liked the movies and I kind of want to watch them again. But I want to ask you, who do you reckon me and you are in Sex in the City? Okay. I've been thinking about this, actually. Okay. And I think that you're a combination. I think we've both got a bit of Miranda in us. Yeah. But you're slightly more Samantha and I'm slightly more Carrie. Okay. Yeah. I love I was about to say to you main character energy, but there's four main characters. So, like, anyone that you picked, it would have been. In case you haven't noticed, Neon is our favourite New Zealand-based streaming service. It's got literally everything you want, and I've said it once, I'll say it again. You can get a 14-day free trial, and then you'll be hooked, I promise. Oh, you absolutely will be. And none of this would actually be possible without Neon. Like, it really wouldn't be. So, thank you so much, Neon. You're fucking great. We love you, Neon. Right, Liv, it's time to get in to the era that we're kind of in right now, and arguably the best era, the experimental era, 
the Rid era. So it's 2012 and, and, and Rid was a bit of a turning point in Taylor's music. She went from like country or country pop to like, I don't know, like pure either pop or a mix of pop and like EDM and dubstep and probably a bit of country twang still in there. Yeah, but a little she, bit folksy. Yeah, she really just played with it, which is what music and making art is. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. About, and, and it's why Red was such a hit. Yeah, and that's what she said, because she was 22, and she was yeah. like, you know, this is what we want for all 22-year-olds. We want them to experiment. Yes. You're not locked into one genre. No, you are not. So when you think of the Red era, you probably think of, like, her red lipstick, black fedoras. She just had her hair, like, straightened, cut. She had bangs. Like, she was very modern. She had on those, like, high-waisted shorts. Like, she just looked very different. She Every era, she looks more and more different, and this was, like, kind of preppy. Yeah. But, like, still quite cool. And, I mean, obviously, a lot of red. Now, we can't go through all the best songs on red because literally all of them, except for arguably 22, are really, really <laughs> good. Songs. I mean, 22 is there for radio play. I mean, we'll give yeah, her that one. It was yeah. probably good for the streams. But who was she dating and what songs were about who? Oh, please do tell me. So, first off, Jake Gyllenhaal. We've mm. got to talk about him. Now, let's just quickly tell the story about her and Jake because honestly, it's not that long of a story. Essentially, Taylor and Jake dated for about three months. And while their relationship may have been brief, its impact has certainly not been. Its impact has been quite long-lasting. So they got together in October of 2010 and stayed together for just long enough for them to visit his sister, Maggie Gyllenhaal, for Thanksgiving and for him to not show up to her 21st birthday. Just long enough for all of this to happen. Her birthday's in December, by the way. Now, she was only 20 when they started dating and he was 10 years older. So All Too Well is the song that has been infamously loved by all. Not a single, not even a music video, but just loved by everyone. And that is, allegedly for legal purposes, about Jake Gyllenhaal. So first of all, let's just talk about the scarf really quickly. So the red scarf is like the symbol for All Too Well because um, Taylor left a scarf there at his sister's house and allegedly Jake still got it in his drawer even now because it reminds him of innocence and it smells like Taylor. <laughs> just to quote the zombie. Just to quote the zombie. I won't say. Plagiarism. But I'll quote it to you. Now, apparently he doesn't still have it even now. Apparently, there's a couple rumours. The right. first rumour, which, false, but I'm going to tell you anyway, <laughs> was that his friend Andrew Burnap has it. His friend tweeted, this is going to sound... Andrew Burnap? he's like an actual actor or something. Oh, okay, like, right. This guy's legit. He tweeted, this is going to sound crazy, and you'll definitely think I'm kidding, but I'm not. I think I'm in possession of that scarf. No, imagine going to your garage or whatever. You see a red scarf, you're like, that's Taylor Swift. It's Taylor's, and I'm a tweet about it. But thanks to our friends Des Moines, I've gotten to the bottom of the scarf, Liv. 
they actually tracked down someone. Someone sent to them um, some intel saying that they have the scarf and they feel really bad about it. They're a big Taylor Swift fan. Demoy said they can't tell us like the story of how they came into possession of the scarf because it's this person's story to tell, but. Demoy helped this person get in touch with Taylor Swift's team and they authenticated that, yes, this was the scarf. And did now they do a DNA test on the hair lift? <laughs> well, I think they might have just showed Taylor. Oh. <laughs> she was like, that's it. And, <laughs> and they're getting it back to Taylor. So, Taylor, if this is all true, if Demoy isn't leading me down a rabbit hole, Taylor is going to be back in possession of the scarf. No fucking way. And it's not even going to smell like her anymore, is it? No, it's not going to smell like innocence because she's been through it. <laughs> It's going to smell like the other girl. It's going to smell like the other girl. If I was that girl, I'd been spraying my perfume all over it. Oh, my God, no. I would never watch it, nor would I touch it. (laughs) Yeah, but that's the difference between a true stan and not true True stan. True stan is someone someone that just wants a nice scarf. (laughs) Now, let's just quickly talk about Sadie Sink and Dylan O'Brien and the music video. Now, just it's amazing the way that Taylor's brain works. The fact that Sadie Sink and Dylan O'Brien won have a similar age gap to Jake Gyllenhaal and Taylor Swift. Two, that they have the same, like, public perception as Taylor Swift and Jake Gyllenhaal had in the fact that Sadie Sink, most of us know her as a middle schooler from Stranger Things. So in our minds, when we see Sadie Sink, we associate her as a young girl. Mm. Dylan O'Brien had just come up about 10 years ago. Like, he is seen in our eyes as an adult. Much like Taylor and Jake were seen at the time of their dating. Fuck, she's clever. She's fucking clever. And honestly, thank you to the TikTok person that pointed that out to me because, Yoza, you're correct. <laughs> like, it's the same. Yoza. <laughs> um, also, I love that they... They're reminiscent of Taylor and Jake, like, looks-wise. But I know. Then it's not like she's tried to match it, because I feel like that would have been kind of tacky. Yes. But they are just, they're just enough, yeah. like, for you to know yeah, the vibe. Yeah, like, you feel it. You feel it. I know. Also, um, again, we watched another TikTok the other day that said that the short film for All Too Well actually meets all the prerequisites to win an Academy Award. Like, it's showing in theatres. It's, like, long enough it was shot on the right kind of camera. And, and this TikToker was sort of saying... What would be the biggest way to sort of get back at an actor who might have wronged you? And and what better way than, you know, win a fucking Academy Award? Also, Liv, just the, the improv gaslighting scene in the All Too Well music video. Mm. Amazing. Mm, great. Apparently they couldn't cut the cameras because there was just so much good shit in there. Honestly, just so much going on and he is fuck, fuck, fucking his way through the scene. <laughs> no, he's just saying, fuck. Fucking fuck this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, the duration of the 10-minute music video didn't just come about because she felt like writing a 10-minute song. Apparently, this was the original length of the song. She had gone through the breakup. She was just riffing with her band at a rehearsal, and someone recorded it. It was 10 minutes. There's been a little bit of, like, hearsay that maybe um, some of the lines, obviously, have been rewritten. Like, apparently, the fuck the patriarchy, like, that wasn't really a big thing that you said back at the time of writing. Yeah. So, But, like, I kind of expected that, that it wouldn't be the exact word-for-word no. word replica. But she'll have honed it. Yeah. yeah. And also, I, I, like, I don't know, I got this from the music, from the video, sorry, the short film, um, that it feels like she wrote that last bit. Yes. Later. Because she's talking about the age gap and, and she's like, she's brave enough. Yeah. yeah hindsight. 
But it's it's just amazing, isn't it? It's all hearsay, though, isn't it? Oh, hearsay. Now, We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together is apparently also about Jake Gyllenhaal because um, the lyrics about him loving indie bands, which she refers to Jake Gyllenhaal loving mm-hmm. indie bands quite a bit. Also in the music video, there's a scarf that's identical to the scarf that Swift was wearing on the date that she's pictured with with Jake Gyllenhaal. The Moment I Knew, stunning song. That is about someone not showing up to your birthday party. And and it's basically, it's, it is the story of Jake Gyllenhaal not showing up to her 21st birthday the party. she knew it was really yes, over. It mm. was over. The Last Time, that stunning song that we were talking about earlier, that is also apparently about Jake Gyllenhaal. Now, not another whirlwind romance. A no, lot like three, three months. months of just hectic pain. Yeah. Three months of, like, pain and pleasure and just more than I think I've ever felt in my entire life. <laughs> Probably same. Like, I'd kill for that three months of that intense feeling <laughs> of anything. <laughs> Give it to me. <laughs> now, another another whirlwind, whirlwind, whirlwind romance mm. that she had, and one that put me on edge in my direction of days, oh. was her romance with Harry Styles. This this broke the internet. If you were to choose one stand-in. Stand-in! Is that it? I don't think I've ever said stand them. It's probably right. Oh, I sh- choose to stand them both. Don't make me pick. Nah. You- Harry, surely. Oh, but like... I thought that would be easy for you. The history of... Like, I'm just respecting the shit out of Taylor. She's had to work from the ground up. Like, love Harry. They were manufactured into a boy band on X Factor. That's like, true. I don't know. I just feel like the grind was there for, for Taylor. But what but Harry stands your for, we love. Sorry to really put you on the spot. I think my heart's with Taylor. Oh, that shocks me. I love anyway, Harry Styles. I love that, yeah. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> just a caveat. I do, I, in but, fact, think about him before I fall asleep. Yeah, but I just love Taylor. Now, did you ever see the videos, this was deep in One Direction fandom, of them on New Year's Eve kissing in Times Square? No. Okay, lucky, because, like, honestly? Jealousy? Bleh, yeah, jealousy <laughs> and, like, head. cringe. But they didn't date for very long. But also, if I dated Harry Styles, I'd fucking write about it. So, like, oh, absolutely. go off, Queen. Apparently, and this is a little bit disputed, I Knew You Were Trouble was written about Harry Styles. Oh. Um, she did say that when she was performing it at the Brit Awards, she said it was quite... It's not hard to access that emotion when the person the song is directed at is standing by the side of the stage watching. Styles was confirmed to be in this position at the time. This is a little bit disputed. Some people don't think it's for him, but some people do. Now, also on Red. Now, I'm only talking about the songs that featured on Red here because there's more about Harry in the 1989 era. But on Red, there's a song called Come Back, Be Here, which is a bonus track. And that's about... Being in a long-distance relationship, there's lines about her being in New York while he's in London and vice versa, and, you know, that's just... Two plus two. The writing's on the wall. (laughs) Yeah. We also have Begin Again, and Begin Again was written about Robert F. Kennedy's grandson, Connor Kennedy. So during the summer of 2012, she dated a guy called Connor Kennedy, whose grandfather is Robert F. Kennedy. Prestigious. Mm. I know. She received some criticism. And guess what for? What? For the age gap. Because she was 22 and Connor was 18. Come on now. And she received criticism. Like, this is just such a double standard. Like, like Ludicrous. it was fine when John Mayer was dating someone like 10 and years like 18 and 18 and 22, like... You're, You're similar states of yeah. mind. Like, come on. Anyway, apparently, now this is hearsay, a lot of a lot of the stuff about dating is hearsay because, one, 
what right do we even have to be getting in there? And two, like, I'm not going to be able to ring her up and confirm it. So apparently Taylor purchased a home near the Kennedy compound in Port, Massachusetts during their romance. It started to look like things weren't going so well when his family accused her of crashing the wedding of Connor's cousin, Kyle, in August. Her reps have denied it, but that's just like a crack-up story. So niche. I know. But Begin Again's a really nice song about, like starting dating again and someone that respects you. One of the lines is actually, I think it's strange that you think I'm funny because he never did, which is like a direct link back to Taylor Swift in the 10-minute All Too Well song saying that she was never good at telling jokes or she never felt like she was good at telling jokes. And so like it made her begin again, believe in love again. And I just, it's a really sweet song. No, that's really nice. So now we round out Red. Um, Go and listen to her re-recordings of that, not her Scooter Braun ones. No. We, we're in 2014 now. I know, it's taken us a while to get here, but we're in 2014. It's 1989. No, it's not. It's 2014. <laughs> Did you write that down? No, I didn't. It just came to me. <laughs> I don't believe you. Truly, if you could see this. <laughs> no, I do believe you. This was her first, like, full pop album and also the start of the Girl Squad era that every single media outlet had something oh, to say about. Oh, holy fuck, they rabbited on about oh, this. I know. The Girl Squad era, people felt excluded by it, people loved it, people all had something to say about it. Now, this had songs like Shake It Off, which I didn't really like. No. Blank Space, which was a great song, but too much radio play, would you say? Yeah, overplayed, but a banger. Great like I song. did, yeah, did love that. And basically, everywhere you looked, Taylor Swift was there. Like, you couldn't avoid Taylor Swift. And, like, rightly so, she was smashing it. And I feel like that album, it just, like, is very coherent. Yes. Yeah. Cohesive? Cohesive. It's very cohesive. And coherent, as in, like, it makes sense. As in she wasn't drunk while she was writing it. Yeah. <laughs> but cohesive in terms of it all just slots together. No, it, it does. It's, yeah. You're right. So her look changed, as it did with every other era. She moved to New York City. She cut her hair into a short bob. She changed up her fashion. She went for more, like, I don't know, she wore a lot of crop tops and, like, short skirts. And she just she fully transitioned from, just like, country fun. to pop. Yeah. yeah. She was having fun. Now, she wrote on this album the song Style, which, if Harry Styles' name wasn't already in the title of the track, it was also notable that it was about a guy that sort of looked like James Dean, wore mm. a white T-shirt, like, and the guy that plays her love interest in the music video looked similar I to I feel Harry like the Styles. Harry Styles then is very different to the Harry Styles yes, now. Yes, it yeah. was very much like rock, like mm. grow my hair out. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what I want to wear yet. And now he's fully just himself. himself. Also out of the woods, which features phrases about paper airplanes flying, and they both had a matching aeroplane, paper airplane necklace at this time. Um, also, Out of the Woods sort of appears to mention a snowmobile accident that both Harry Styles and Taylor Swift were involved in during the accident. But this song sparked a really fucked up rumour that yeah. Taylor Swift and Harry Styles um, killed someone in a vehicle, like vehicular manslaughter rumour. What, in a snowmobile? Well, I don't know if it was in a snowmobile, if this just sort of, you know, how things just form into something just else. Snowball, but, like, there's yeah. this wild rumour that they killed someone and then the song... Um, no body, no crime. It comes out on her like later album. She's just confessing to like, killing someone. Well, that's what people are saying, oh, and goodness. and I don't believe 
like that, but I think it's just hilarious to like even even, even contemplate contemplate that. Now this this is a different type of relationship. This next song, and it's the song um, "Bad Blood," which is about her feud, her very very vocal feud. Not vocal in terms of we heard them fighting with each other, but like very out there in the media feud with Katy Perry. So the feud came about when Taylor Swift's Red Tour dancers left her tour early to go and perform on Katy Perry's tour, Prismatic. In 2014, Taylor Swift explained to Rolling Stone magazine that this killed their friendship because for years she was never sure, one, if they were friends or not. And like Katie would come up to her at awards shows and say something and then walk away and Taylor would think, are we friends or did she just give me the harshest insult of my life? Then she did something so horrible, I was like, oh, we're just straight up enemies. Enemies! 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 And it wasn't even about a guy. It had to do with business. The day after that profile came out, Katy Perry tweeted, watch out for the Regina George in sheep's clothing. Savage. Oh, my God, so petty. Then, yep, then Katy Perry released a perfume named Mad Love, which was a reference to, because, baby, now we got bad blood. You know what you used to have? Mad love. Do you think that this was publicity stunt? Well, I'm not sure. I don't think, okay, I don't know, It just know, seems Taylor. like to just come out of the blue. Like, imagine just suddenly. I know. I don't think Taylor would have done this as a publicity stunt. Maybe but I reckon Katy Perry's behalf. Yeah, yeah might have. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know either of them, but Katy Perry seems more the type. <laughs> um, then someone tweeted Katy asking if Taylor would collab with her ever, and Katy said, if she says sorry, then sure. Then... Things went quiet for a few years, quite a bit. And then Taylor Swift, when she was, like, gearing up for her reputation tour, posted a photo of a literal olive branch. You know how it's, like, extend the olive branch, I say sorry. That Katy Perry had sent her, along with a note where Katy Perry had written that she was deeply sorry. Swift captioned the photo, thank you, Katy, with two hearts. And then again later, Taylor sends Katy a piece-at-last chocolate chip cookie, like, package, which she captions... Feels good. The location she tagged was Let's Be Friends. So it's all playing out quite publicly. And then Katie is in her music video for You Need to Calm Down, which is in her lover era, wearing her Met Gala hamburger outfit. Katy Perry and Taylor Swift, who's dressed up as fries, like hug and they slow dance and they officially, on the record, end their wild, weird feud. Strange. So, so strange. But I'm glad I have been enlightened about that information. I'm Honestly, I'm, I'm so glad as well. Now, we've reached our reputation era where everyone seemed to have turned on Taylor Swift, like in the time between 1989 and reputation Everyone was coming for her, and a lot of it was because of falsehoods. Like, the media just piled on top of her. So following the, like, peak of her career in 1989, she did find herself in the midst of, like, just the most public scrutiny. And it all started, of course, with her infamous feud with Ye and Kim Kardashian and Scooter Braun. Yes, so this is all very, very interesting and super related to the re-recording of her albums. But first, I think it's quite interesting to see that Taylor and Ye had actually kind of patched things up in between, you know, the 2009 VMA whole debacle and then um, this 2016 whole thing with Famous. Um, So basically, 
in 2015, Taylor made a speech at the VMAs. She must have been giving Ye an award. And she said, I first met Kanye West six years ago at this show, actually. And then she said, it seems like everyone in the world knew about our infamous encounter at the VMAs. But something that you may not know about Kanye West's album College Dropout was that it was my very first album that my brother and I bought on iTunes when I was 12 years old. And I have been a fan of his for as long as I can remember because Kanye defines what it means to be a creative force in music, fashion and well life. So I guess I have to say to all the other winners tonight, I'm really happy for you and I'm going to let you finish, but Kanye West has had one of the greatest careers of all time. Good on her, eh? Like, bigger person vibes. Yeah, she really took that back. I read in a few articles that she kind of got obsessed with him respecting her because I think she felt so disrespected Mm. by him and not seen by him at all in 2009 that she almost had to, like, prove it to herself that she could gain his respect. And then so it was, I think for Taylor, she she wants people to like her. You know, she's always said this. She mm-hmm. um, thrives on that sort of recognition. And, yeah, it was the same with, with Ye. So it was really hard for her when the feud was later reignited when Ye released the song Famous, um, which I think we all know, in 2016, which had the line, I feel like me and Taylor might still have sex. I made that bitch famous. And and if we're talking about respect and disrespect, yeah. oh, that's like the epitome of disrespect. Absolutely. And he also released a corresponding music video, which depicted a naked Taylor. So Taylor was not happy and she made it quite public that she wasn't happy. And then Kim Kardashian actually posted a video of a recorded conversation of Ye and Taylor and Ye was asking for Taylor's permission to use her in the song, Mm -hmm. basically. So my next single, I wanted you to tweet it. It's it's a Good Friday, it's a Driving as a Good Friday song. So that's why I'm calling you that I wanted you to put the song out. All right. I guess it would just be people would be like, why is this happening? Well, the reason why it would be happening is because it has a very controversial line at the beginning of the song about you. What does it say? Okay, so it says, and the song is so, so dope. And I've literally sat with my wife, with my whole management team, with everything and tried to rework this line i've thought about this line for eight months i've had this line and i tried to rework it every which way and the 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 original way that i thought about it is the best way but it's the most controversial way so it's 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 gonna go eminem a little bit so can you brace yourself for a second yeah okay all right uh it says wait a second you sound sad well is it gonna be mean no i don't think it's mean Okay, then let me hear it. Okay. It says, um, and the funny thing is, when I first played it and my wife uh, heard it, she was like, huh? What? That's too crazy, blah, blah, blah. And then, like, when Ninja from um, uh, D. Atwork heard it, he was like, oh, my God, this is the craziest shit. This is why I love Kanye, blah, 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 that kind of thing. And now it's, like, my wife's favorite fucking line. I just want to give you some premise of that, right? Okay. Okay. So it says, I feel like Taylor Swift might owe me sex. (laughs) (laughs) That's not mean. Okay. 
Yeah. Oh, well, this is the thing why I'm calling you because you got an army. You own a country of motherfucking two billion people, basically, that if you felt that it's funny and cool and like hip hop and felt like, you know, just the college dropout and the artist like yay that you love, then I think that people would be like way into it. And that's why I think it's super genius to to have you be the one that says, oh, I like this song a lot. Like, yeah, whatever, you know, this is cool, whatever. It's like, you know, like I got like shit on my album where I'm like, I bet me and Ray J will be friends if we ain't love the same bitch. Oh my God. <laughs> like, like, I mean, yeah. I need to think about it because it seems like, you know, you hear something for the first time and it's really fucking awkward it's and he kind of manipulative. yeah he he just like he knows she loves his music and he really like plays on that and obviously he's trying to get what he wants but he says can I use the line, something along the lines of, I feel like me and Taylor might still have sex. Or I feel like Taylor Swift owes me sex. Yeah, that was the actual But he's like he gone said. through a whole lot of like backing her into a corner before this. Yeah, exactly. It's like a whole lot of like, oh, so-and-so loves it. This is it's what my makes favorite me line. me. Yeah, I've spent eight months on this. And then um, she is sort of like pretty cautious at the start and then she was like agrees. But then what she didn't agree to was him using the line, I made that bitch famous, because that just fucking detracts from her entire, like, career. I made that bitch famous. I'm sorry. The ego. She won a Grammy and a VMA before you made that bitch famous. So, (laughs) So, yeah. And then Taylor responded to this video saying, where is the video of Kanye telling me that he was going to call me that bitch in his song? So she also said, it doesn't exist because it never happened. While I wanted to be supportive of Kanye on the phone call, you cannot approve of a song you haven't heard. Being falsely painted as a liar when I was never given the full story or played any part of the song is character assassination. So that's sort of like the premise of this reputation era Loose, do you want to tell us a bit more about it? Yeah, and then everyone just, for some reason, really sided with Ye on this one Mm. and just saw Taylor as a snake, which she did play on. Snakes made a big, like, appearance in all the themes and vibes of her reputation era. It just gave me such that, like, whole thing of you can't take a joke. Yeah, it was... Horrible. Like, I can't I can believe say it. whatever I want to say about you and you have to laugh because it's kind of embarrassing if you take this seriously. It was horrible because, yeah. like, in hindsight, everyone could see that, oh, my God, like, we treated her like shit. She was in the right. Mm. She disappeared from public life for months. Like, she... It's like a year, wasn't yeah, it? Like, she has been outwardly... And, and does she talk about this in Miss Americana? Mm-hmm. Like, she was terrified to do anything, say anything, be anything. And then she came back in 2017 with reputation. She declared that the old Taylor was dead in her lead single, Look What You Made Me Do. And she, like, shed her good girl status because I think she was just like, well, this didn't work for me in the end. Like, me being who I was didn't work for me. Let me reinvent myself. Yeah, because she always, she talks about how she was what everyone wanted her to be. And then she was thriving off of that approval from people that she didn't even know. 
Yeah. And then suddenly being like, holy fuck, like I've actually kind of been you know, moulded into this person. Even though she's sort of come back to it, but she would have been having an identity crisis. Like, is this me and who I am? This nice, you know, like, lovely, does things for other people only? Or do I just not know who I am because I've been moulded here? Because she just was obsessed with being good. And then that went into, like, her political standing as well. She never spoke out about anything political because, you know, it was always, like, good girls don't talk about politics. Mm. And then so... And then she did. Yeah. She really, like, became feisty. Yes. In this era. Yeah. And she kind of had to. It's like taking something too far to, like, then come back to who you actually are. So with reputation, like, she was full. Everything was dark. Like, you know, like, everything she was wearing was dark. She was edgier. She was grungier. She bleached her hair. She, like, you know, went platinum blonde and cut it off. Reputation, which lots of people have called it a bit of a flop album, but then also it could have just been before its time. Um, she was dating Calvin Harris at the time of all this. Apparently the song I Did Something Bad in Getaway Car are rumoured to be about him. There's some really good songs on that album. Yeah, I know. And like, yeah, I totally agree with the fact that it was before its time. Yeah. Because I remember when those music videos came out and I was like, oh my God, what the fuck is going on? Probably like a shitload of internalised misogyny on yes. my behalf. Yeah. And then, yeah, now I'm just like... Fucking good on you, girl. And I think the tour was one of her biggest tours, like the biggest tour she's ever done. And she would get all those like other um, artists to come out on stage with her. It was quite iconic. Now there's also, she dated Tom Hiddleston and Getaway Car is also rumoured to be about him. But I feel like this was the era where she was more talking to the people that were hating on her. She wasn't writing about love or boyfriends so much. She was more like... I am going to write about the experience I'm going through and I'm going to, like, clap back in the way that I know how. And that was by releasing this music and putting on a really fucking good show. Now, we are going to go through the whole reason that she's having to re-record and wanting to re-record her masters. There's a lot more drama to do with Yay and Scooter Braun and Scooter. Got bullshitter and just all these people that make me want to, like, I don't know, dick them. <laughs> and we're going to go through her final few eras, or maybe not her final, she could have more in her, lover, evermore, and folklore. But first, Liv, before we get to part two, before we wrap up this podcast, what is on your radar? On my radar is Insecure. I've seen that it's on Neon. Yes. And I'm really fucking excited to. Watch it because I feel like I totally missed a boat with yeah. this Same. with this series. It came out ages ago and people talk about it all the time and it's Issa Rae and she wrote it and starred in it and it's I think it's based off of like a web series that she did. Sick. Um so yeah, I'm I'm really excited to watch that finally. It's been on my list for a long time. But yeah, what's on your radar? Well I'm surprised this wasn't on your radar, but Adele's new album comes mm. out on November the nineteenth. I, I thought about putting that on my radar. But and it's yeah. heavily on my radar also on my radar pen 15 i talked about it last week i'm still fucking excited it comes out in december like it's like part it's like season two part two or part b so i don't know what that has in store it's on neon you guys know that i bang on about pen 15 all the time please go and watch it so you can come and talk to me about it and then my third thing on my radar is tick tick boom now the reason I know about this is because Lin Manuel Miranda is directing it, and it's a story, Liv, about a musical we want to watch but haven't yes, watched. Yes, I was like, why does this sound yes. familiar? Yes, no, I started Lucy. I should have told you, but I started watching. Well, I watched most of it the other day. Of what? Rent. Oh, 
Yeah. I'm jealous. You should have told me. I know. Um, well, basically, this is about the person, Jonathan Larson, who wrote the musical Rent. And he's played by Andrew Garfield. And I love Lin-Manuel Miranda, who's, like, directing this. And I just, I'm very excited about it. It's also out in December. Now, Liv and I are going to wrap up this podcast, but... You guys better be ready for part two. Honestly, part two, you're, you're going to want to listen. Part like, two is where shit keeps so real. so much shit, and I think it's so important because Taylor is paving history, like, in the music industry. She's really, like, doing her part. So listen to it, and then you'll understand why it's so important to listen to her versions and not as opposed to the other versions. Yes. As usual, you can find us on Shit You Should Care About. You should share how you listen to this podcast. Put it on your stories. Leave us a rating, review, subscribe to the newsletter. Any way you want to be with us, you can be with us because we're everywhere. And we will see you on Saturday for a very special part two. Can't wait to see you there. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.